Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I have two lovely ladies with me. That makes me sound really creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yep. Okay, well, hi guys. Hi. Hi. Uh, and it's we're... Me. Could everyone just <laughs> please turn off their phones, please, for the podcast? Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, now that's out of the way, we have some excellent questions from check-ins. If you've not, if you're listening to this and you've not checked in yet, and you're on commit six, obviously, <laughs> then check in. That is all. Okay, who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first. Can I just quickly tell you like what I'm proud of myself for this week before we start answering questions? Can I just quickly say something about myself? Yeah, fine. We're just like uh, talking about myself for like about five minutes. Um, so you put a thread up in the group yesterday. Like, what was your non-scale victory? And mm-hmm. mine was that I have quite well, I technically qualified to like upgrade a lane at the swimming. Yeah, but when you say technically qualified. Like, what do you mean by that? Has someone come along and been like, yes, that your speed of swimming is now of an like, acceptable level to move up a lane? Right, okay. So when you book in swimming, there's six lanes. There's a fast lane, two fast lanes, two medium, two, uh, two slow. And I've always been booking into the slow because slow is like 40 seconds a length plus and I time myself and I'm like over a minute. Because um, I'm, I'm just a really pregnant lady like floating up and down the pool. But I've been going like for the last month, twice a week. And then I was like, I went as fast as I could and I managed to get sub 40 seconds. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Things, things are getting serious. But it was like I had to put all my human bodily effort into it. And it was like 39 seconds. And I've and also like I've got this maternity swimsuit. They don't do like sporty ones they only do like frilly really girly ones so you ones. think that might have been holding you back actually I think right. it is see if it wasn't for that if I was more streamlined I might get like 38 seconds yeah I think so at yeah. least but I'm just really proud of myself for that so and in other news Catherine has done 10 pull-ups whoa that's amazing do you know what's actually incredible I was thinking about it. so I was doing Hannah's check-in this morning and she's like yeah Back to doing 10 pull-ups, I guess that's quite good. Like, there are so many women that we coach that can do 10 pull-ups, which is, like, I don't think people realise how insane that is. Like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's incredible. And not just what pin-ups. That you're, you're, like, not classified as an athlete if you can do just one as a female. Yeah. Like, female. That's right. So who's classifying that? I don't know. Me. Technically, you're an athlete now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, one is hard. Let alone ten. Jeez. Okay. Well, that was great. Okay. Yeah. First questions. Okay. Uh, well, I'll go first. Um. Right. Uh. Okay. I'm not sure if I can es- explain this very well, but I'm finding the part where my neck joins my shoulders is looking a bit bulky, and at the top of my spine too. Is this posture or from lifting weights? Is there anything I should do to stop it getting any more bulky? Sorry if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, lol. Okay, so I know what she's talking about. She's talking about her traps. Traps, so trap, yeah. Traps are muscle, like, 
from your neck to your shoulders and then they travel like down your back and they look like a little set of wings like at the top of your neck um, and quite a lot of people are trap dominant like they'll use their traps instead of their shoulders or their lats um, like I'm one of those people that are trap dominant and that's because I've done a lot of Olympic lifting like you can actually see them right now like I can make them pop up yeah oh maybe. yeah see um, I think that looks great I like it too it's all preference isn't it like I, I like them too and I especially like the look of them from the back um, but they can be overactive and they can take over in certain movements like <laughs> sounds quite funny isn't it <laughs> sorry she's got really overactive traps yeah, don't mind me my traps keep working um, no like see like if you're doing a row like sometimes you see people like like squidging their shoulders up to their neck Whereas you just have to like try and keep your shoulders down and just make sure that you're really feeling it in the muscles that you're trying to feel it in. So like your lats, your rhomboids. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's probably a technique thing for your exercises rather than anything else. What do you think, girls? Yeah, I agree. I don't think I have like anything else to add on that. It's just the technique part of it. And like you say, when you're doing rows, like bent over rows, is try not to shrug your shoulders up and more think about like, the movement coming from say like your elbow and you drive your elbow to your hip opposed to like shrugging your shoulder up but I think that's excellent advice yeah mm -hmm. so when I first started going to the gym the first thing my mum said to me was don't lose your neck and that's what don't she your neck. don't lose your neck like I think that's what she meant is that like don't get massive traps so that you essentially don't have a neck anymore and you're just a head <laughs> See those muscles that like run down here and here? I don't know what they're called, but I think what they're your really neck sexy. Muscle. You find them yeah. really sexy? I think they're just like hot on women. <laughs> I don't know how to make That's them do anything. Like, do you, are you talking about like the tendons in your neck? No, not the Deirdre one. Not a good tendon. Oh, I love an Adam's apple on a woman. <laughs> I love a lean neck. So I'm just getting my neck out. Are you feeling right. quite flustered? I'm googling neck muscles. Are um, they not like it's no one on the podcast is going to be able to see us flashing our necks? Mm. Yeah. To Anyways, be fair, I yeah, do have a thing about collarbones, isn't it? Huh? It's all personal preference, like what you think is like, because like you you associate your trap muscles with like a big giant bodybuilder, like those big sort of like python necks, but um. I think that they're important and they look nice as well. Yeah, I think they look really good. But mm -hmm. I can see the problem. Like, I think if you naturally have a very short neck, uh. <laughs> then actually it looks like you don't have one if you build big traps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, watch out if you've got a, a short neck. Mm -hmm. Right, Catherine, what's your question? Awesome. Um, okay, so question is am I better doing less steps on an incline or more steps on a normal walk I have such limited time and beat myself up if I don't even get 8,000 steps mm. so the advice that I gave here is kind of looking at, it, at your steps from a health perspective is that actually getting between eight and a half thousand and ten thousand steps a day is going to be good for your health and reducing sedentary time um, I know that Gabby who asked the question says that she has a treadmill at home so she can do some extra steps at home 
um, on an incline. But I was kind of looking at it more from a health perspective opposed to like just trying to hit that number um, or trying to hit like a certain energy expenditure. So I think what like where Gabby was coming from is if she's on an incline, she's actually then working harder. And I don't know what your guys' thoughts on that is. Well, technically, she will burn more calories per step if she's walking on an incline. So there's that. I think it's quite like almost minutia. Like ideally, we would have people just trying to increase the activity in their lives. And if they want to do like a bit of extra cardio to like compensate for the fact that they spend a lot of time sitting down, like that, that's totally fine. I mean, realistically, before I would just walk on an incline i mean that's one option but you or you could just go for a jog or something or like fill a backpack with bricks and walk around with a backpack on like <laughs> yeah mm. okay um right uh first one i don't know uh okay I know you are going to say, don't worry about when you eat fruit and veg, just get it done. But I know that from an optimal point of view, perhaps having these nutrients soon after training isn't ideal. What is the science behind this and what kind of window are we talking about? Um, don't worry, I'm not really going to action it. I'm just interested. So is this like a vegabolic window as he's talking about? Um, the only thing I can think of is that the antioxidants in the fruit might reduce uh, inflammation, which is important to training adaptations. I don't think that would be high enough in like from eating fruit and veg. Like there, there is suggestion that you wouldn't want to take things like high dose um, vitamins or minerals straight after your workout because that may dampen the response. Even that, I would say, is probably not going to make a huge difference to most people. But the reason that like, we generally suggest not doing that is because it also makes literally no difference just to take your supplements at a different time that isn't post-workout. Like, it just There might be a small benefit to doing that, so you may as well do it. I eat fruit post-workout all the time. Yeah, me too. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I actually think it would be probably the opposite like I mean if you ate all your veg like afterward wait no he wouldn't he wouldn't do that would he <laughs> no you wouldn't eat all your veg after a workout <laughs> that would be really unpleasant no don't do that sorry well, I'm just all thinking of about it. Like, what the options are here just eat it normally throughout the day <laughs> normally yeah uh it's a good question though but um and he's not even good at action it so it's fine okay good awesome. was that not Tom Woods no it was simon huh mm. simon okay. always has really good questions as well yeah we love questions like that mm-hmm. yeah well, not tom woods actually messaged on instagram and asked the question about not tom oh. woods questions are great so great i didn't even know what this was but he said interested in your thoughts on the pain gate theory never heard of it know. yeah can you explain what that is you might no oh well so be good thing that that we've got google here google. what's it pain gate pain gate theory um the gate control theory of pain asserts that non-painful input closes the nerve gates to painful input input which prevents pain sensation 
from traveling to the central nervous system. I'm none the wiser having read that out. <laughs> yeah, still don't understand. Uh, I don't think we're probably the best qualified to no. <laughs> answer that one, actually. But I do find that if you're interested in pain in general and how it works, I would listen to the Fitness Unfiltered episode, which is actually the latest one that we've done, which was ages ago. But that talks about pain a lot and how pain is possibly like I mean it blew my mind quite a lot like it's not necessarily um how you think it works or how you would assume that it works so have a listen to that fitness unfiltered Mm. okay me next um thoughts on reverse banking of calories um as in going over on Monday and making up for the rest of the week or making up for it for the rest of the week is this okay or is it more likely to psychologically trigger binge restrict cycles? Um, what is that called? It's like, is that reactive? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to what would be the opposite? So like as in banking calories for the weekend, what's that called? Forward thinking. Yeah. Planning. <laughs> planning. Yeah. yeah. Planning ahead. I, I would say that that's probably not a good idea. Um, and that's why we talk about drawing a line under it and moving on rather than like trying to restrict and trying to catch up with yourself. And as as the question, as you've even said in the question, um, that is probably going to lead to like feelings of like just always feeling like you're trying to catch up or feelings that you're having to restrict. And then chances are you'll do it again next weekend because you're really hungry. Um, so, yeah, just uh, my advice would be just to draw a line under it and just go back to your normal calories that you're on. Yeah, I I would agree. I think that it kind of depends on the magnitude. Like if you're like, oh, I went 200 calories over, but you know what? I can make that up over the week. Fine, not a problem at all. Ideally, yeah, you you plan ahead and you're like, I know I'm going out for a meal on Friday, so I'm going to bank a couple of calories so that I've got more to play with on Friday and I want to have a few drinks. That would be like the ideal situation, but we know what life is like and we want you to be able to be like spontaneous. Like if you've eaten all your calories for the day, but your flatmate comes in with a chalk ice, I don't know why, uh, or something like that, you like you can be like, oh yeah, do you know what? I do actually fancy that. It's going to put me over my calories, but I'll cut back a little bit tomorrow or over the next couple of days. That's fine. If you go like yeah. 2000 calories over your intake and you're like, oh, I'm going to try and claw this back over the week by eating 500 calories a day no obviously not so it does depend on the magnitude a little bit and we understand that you won't always plan ahead for everything because you won't always know what's going to happen and if you're suddenly like spontaneously invited out for a meal or something then we want you to be able to be like yeah I'm well up for that that sounds great instead of being like no sorry I only have 400 calories left that would never work I'm just going to eat broccoli on my own on my own is the key part (laughs) right okay um this is also from simon how much do you think your appearance has helped with your success obviously you four trainers have loads of knowledge and your material is great but you're also in great shape (laughs) thanks simon um how much do you think that your appearance helps you get clients in if you were still as good, but all looked like average Joe, would you get as much interest and as many clients? Um, 
I'd just like to make it clear, I think you're all excellent and in no way am I suggesting that you only get clients because you look good. Ooh. Love you, Simon. Thanks, Simon. Bye. Cheers. What do you say think about that then? That's such a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what is interesting? Like, I mean, really, it's a question for everyone on Commit to Six, right? Why did you sign up? But mm-hmm. the other thing that I will say is that most people, because I've got data on this, most people sign up after listening to the podcast. So they can't, like, I'm sure that they know what I look like because there's a photo of me on the podcast, but it's not got, like, it, I mean, it's me in a jumper, right? And then they probably have my Instagram, so they probably know what I look like. But I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, realistically, it probably adds to the full package, but not necessarily because we look a certain way but because it's obvious that we practice what we preach so i think that's maybe the the driving force there i would hope Mm -hmm. like i hope that the thing is there's loads of incredible looking people on instagram that don't have the same business success that we do on commit to six because they don't coach as well like and and I think it I hope it comes across that we care far more about like our clients than we do about posting up selfies looking a certain way yeah what do you think about previous to commit to six though because like you are really well known for your abs as well let's 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 put it out there let's not deny it it's the ab in the room (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you know what and I actually think uh, I probably built a lot of my following from looking a certain way. Um, someone commented this once and I think it's quite a nice way to look at it and I would hope this is what's happened. But someone was like, I came for the abs and I stayed for the education. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. And and I think that's largely how social media works a lot of the time, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. you, a lot of it is, I mean, images work. Instagram is about images. But you want you kind of want to play the game by being like, oh, look, I look this way or like this is a great image or whatever. But actually, here's the content behind it. Like, here's actually what you need to know. Mm -hmm. I think it's a bit of both. It's quite similar in a way to like how you bring clients in as well is that they come looking for fat loss, fat loss or like a vanity goal. And actually, then they realize part of the way through is actually the mindset shifts are the biggest thing. So it's like, it's similar to that, mm-hmm. I would say. Also, um, I totally can I just like... say? What? <laughs> yeah. Slightly harsh by Faisal. Faisal's just commented saying, follow-up question. After signing up, does anyone feel like they've been catfished? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. A hundred percent. Like, I'm sure oh. anyone who, like, comes to my Instagram and then sees me on the live, they're like, what? <laughs> I think we're all quite real on Instagram. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think you're right. Like, obviously, you can look... But not all of your photos are, like, you done up to the... Done up to the nines, you know? Mm -hmm. What about, like, working on the gym floor? Oh, what, like, as a rite of passage? Um, Like, do you think that that it's different, like, working on in a gym as opposed to, like, on Instagram? Yeah. uh yes and no I think actually when I worked in a gym I probably got all of my clients from the way I looked 
mainly because you can't it's not like i'm standing there like i'm just imagining myself there now like you know there's people who like stand in the middle of town reading out the bible Mm. (laughs) me in the gym like this is how you lose body fat i don't know like talking about calorie deficits and stuff like you can't there's not the scope i guess to educate in the same way until you Mm. get into a proper conversation with someone so you can't like deliver education in the same way or deliver like your ethos in the same way so I think a lot of it comes down to what you look like I think I picked up most of my clients from them watching me train weirdly I think when I worked in the gym I picked up a lot of my clients from um I I used to teach a lot of classes and they would take part in my classes and they got to know my personality from that um and yeah I think seeing me train people and like people would always say that they could hear me and my client before they saw us because like we'd be laughing so much um and I mean that I totally get that's not for everyone but that's absolutely what I was like as a one-to-one trainer in the gym is that it would be like fun so if someone was looking for that then I think that that was it was it was definitely no I, I don't think it was the way I looked like obviously like I've always looked like fit and athletic but I've not been like super ripped or anything like that um but yeah, I uh, don't know. Yeah, I'm similar to you, Sharon. Yeah. Like I picked up a lot. Not like it wasn't PT that I did in the gym. It was gym instructing and then delivering gym programs to people. But I picked up a lot of clients like that through my exercise classes. Mm-hmm. And it's because they get to know you in the classes and they get to know like your mannerisms and your character. Um, yeah, I think, so I think much that's a big it, part of it as well. It, it's not opening up like conversation, looks. isn't it? Like the biggest thing I always say to PTs, like if they're like, oh, I don't know how to pick up clients be approachable that's it like that's the fundamental start a conversation even if you're just saying hi to people or you're smiling like it can be as simple as that just look like you're approachable that's the best way to pick up clients and it seems so simple that we often overcomplicate like oh how could I I don't know should like if you're a face-to-face trainer paying for like Facebook ads or or focusing on social media like you should just be in the gym where your clients or your potential clients actually are Mm. speaking to them smiling at them like when you when one of your clients doesn't turn up or you've got time on the gym floor go instead of hiding in the staff room like just walk around smiling at people mm-hmm. yeah hannah's just said i bet many general pop would opt not to work with people who look in intimidatingly good shape there's the impression that they'd be more judgmental for us average joes wait i'm, I'm sorry is that hannah Joe. ritchie <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's not an average joe yeah so average literally the most average person i know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's interesting as well no i think that's true and i think that a lot of personal trainers do things like oh the amount of people that are like oh i think i'm gonna compete because i just think it'll be really good for business and i'm like that's literally the worst thing you could possibly do for business on so many levels like one your clients don't want to look like that two all your photo shoots you're looking shredded and angry not approachable (laughs) Like three, how much effort does it take to get into that shape? Which means you're not putting that effort on your business. Like there's a finite amount of effort that you have. If you're competing in a bodybuilding show, that'd be the biggest turn off to me if I was looking for a coach and they were like, I'm competing this year. I'd be like, right, your business isn't your priority then. Like your clients aren't your priority. You're going to be your mm-hmm. priority if you're competing. So yeah, I, I don't think that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Great question, Simon. Thanks, Simon. And also, thanks, Faisal. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm going to have a bit of an Emma moment here because there's a name that I can't pronounce. Someone asked I'm me again. Someone asked me again on the on a live how to say Siobhan and I forgot. Like I was like, is that? D-? I couldn't remember again. How could I forget that? Anyway, okay, right. Okay, so spell it. I don't even want to say Nosy. <laughs> right, spell it out. N A O I S E. N A O I S E. N A O I S E. I feel really bad. Oh, God, I have no idea. Naus. Naus. Right, okay. It's Nisha. Oh, no. No, it's not, is it? That's lovely, isn't it? Hey, wait, what a lovely Nisha. name, Nisha. That is such a nice name, Nisha. I love it. Also, I would have spelled it slightly different if you know if you want to re-spell your name. <laughs> I'm gonna go N E E S H A. Nows. Nows. It's French. Nice. 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 What was it? Oh, je m'appelle Naus. <laughs> right, it's not French, it's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hello there, Nisha. Hello. Oh. Right, anyway, what's right. Nisha's question? So, Nisha's question is um, I was wondering if the focus on calories should be different for a muscle building goal as opposed to a fat loss goal. I'm used to having. A fat loss goal. So if I came in slightly under my daily calories and try not to laugh and <laughs> wasn't feeling hungry, I would have seen that as a good thing. But with a muscle building goal, should I see my calorie target as a minimum target? And if I end up going slightly over, that's maybe not such a bad thing for muscle building. Is it still okay to eat slightly less calories during the week and have more at the weekends when trying to build muscle? Hmm. Great question. And yeah, so generally I would look at if your goal is to build muscle, always erring on the side of a little bit of a surplus, especially like now that things are opening up. So if you're trying to gauge like roughly what's in food at a restaurant or something, like if if uh, building muscle is your goal, I'd probably err on the side of estimating a little bit lower than what it is. So maybe what it actually says on the the restaurant menu or something. And then if you're in fat loss, I'd probably err on the side of caution and be like, oh, it says 500 calories. Realistically, it's more like 600 calories. So yeah, I think you're exactly right, Nisha. Hannah's just said, another great way to get clients publicly take the piss out of their names. Yeah, true. Oh, sorry, that's a really that's a really good no, point. Sorry, Nisha. I mean, I think Nisha. everyone on Commit Six has good banter, so hopefully, <laughs> I, I look, look forward to your next check in, Nisha. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna get like a, a strongly worded email, um, Emma. Someone will want to speak to the manager. What? For well, I, I insulted Karen, and Karen's one of my one to ones. How did you insult I was, her? Like, I was talking about um, uh, Karen's being Scorpios. No, Karen, you're just a bitch. And she was like, I'm Karen and Scorpio. <laughs> but Karen's the least Karen person. She totally is, yeah. So that's yeah. fine. Right, okay. Uh, this is quite a good question as well. 
all through history, there have been people who ate and moved for what their body needed and were in shape. Early Olympians, etc. I feel this is proof that at least some people knew what they were doing with diet and exercise. Do you think we vastly overcomplicate this in modern life? Why have we strayed so far from intuition? Could it be because we expect fat loss to be instant like Amazon Prime slash fast food, etc.? May I ask your thoughts on this? If there's time, there is. Um, I think that (laughs) there is. Who's that? Because that was a great question. That is such a good question. That's from um, Liv. Liv. Damn. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. I think that this, the see the could it be because we expect fat loss to be instant? Like that's a different question. Um. So I think like the first part she's asking, uh. Like, so what's the difference between, like, people through history? Like, obviously, there wasn't a, as big a problem with obesity as there is now. I think that's the first part of the discussion. And then the second part is, like, the the sort of instant results. Okay, I think I have quite a lot to say on this. I think there's quite okay. a lot to unpick here. So, one, I think the reason is that now, and this is just my thoughts on it, I don't think that you can eat truly intuitively with the food choices we have in the environment we live in with the way that we live as well like most people have cars and drive everywhere most people have a sedentary job most people have immediate access to any foods they want and not only immediate access but those foods are extremely calorically dense we we live in this obesogenic environment and i think if you live quote unquote naturally and kind of just let things happen you will become overweight and the proof of that is kind of in the fact that most people are overweight now like that's that's the truth of the situation that we're in which is why and I've been thinking about this quite a lot I don't know how supportive of truly intuitive eating I am because I actually don't think that it's a very in fact and this is bold but I'm not sure you can truly eat intuitively in this environment without putting on weight yeah because like intuitive eating as like a practice has loads of rules yeah so, so let's take really that like, that's eating. almost not what i'm talking about like i'm talking yeah, not, yeah, I, know, yeah. I know what you mean so uh-huh. i'm talking like, about i think if you eating... just sort of ate the way you wanted to and and sort of followed your appetite then yeah or followed like the food choices that were there then yeah you you're right i totally agree with you yeah Mm -hmm. so I think that's the first thing I think that's why we're generally overweight now like it's the environment because if you think back to like ancient Olympians or like do you know what anyone in like anyone ancient Greece like don't have to be an Olympian they moved a lot more their food choices were much like leaner and harder to get and you wouldn't eat a hell of a lot there's probably less like emotional eating which is probably a, a kind of newer concept here I doubt as many people numbed their emotion with food Um, yeah they would just kill each other instead yeah they just like wrestled each other so (laughs) maybe that's the answer yeah maybe it is maybe we need like an olympics every well i mean we do have an olympics don't we but like a a general population olympics of wrestling that's a terrible idea naked Uh, mud wrestling (laughs) no i totally agree i think that um we're just more sedentary like people just don't move as much there's no need to move like you're I'd say like the vast majority of jobs occupations way that people made their money and provided for themselves were 
active or labor intensive whereas like it's the complete opposite now and we're having to get people to move we're having to persuade people to move and be active um and people also just don't know that that's what they have to do like think about the amount of people that live their lives day in day out without or barely doing any exercise or barely eating a vegetable um so yeah it's completely completely changed I would also say the we've become I guess like industrialization of food processing as well like if we actually had to make the food that we eat we wouldn't eat half as much of it like my I remember last Christmas my mum made well my mum planted some potatoes and she's like oh we're gonna have these at Christmas right there was like there was like five of us for Christmas dinner and like three tiny potatoes that she's managed like to make over the last six months like and, and I'm sure that some people are better at making potatoes than my mum, but, or growing potatoes more to the point. But if you see the effort that actually goes into making food or to mm-hmm. making your own food or to getting food, if you had to like hunt for it or go and catch it or, you know, even food preparation, which we kind of like don't have to do now. I think people mm-hmm. would eat a lot less if they had to make more effort to get food. Yeah. 500 years ago your mum might have like died and your whole family <laughs> we would all be dead to be fair <laughs> <laughs> because you could only yield three potatoes each <laughs> yeah um but i even think okay. about that like when we make tomatoes which i freaking love tomatoes but if i buy them from a shop like i'll just eat the whole punnet but if it's like mum's tomatoes from the garden i'm like savoring too because yeah. there is only 10 and it took like six months to make them or however long tomatoes take to make maybe not six months <laughs> whatever uh so i think that's part of it and then yeah. okay so this is kind of related to this but i think now a lot of people think that anyone who's even like relatively lean is obsessive or like out of the ordinary which i guess they are out of the ordinary to an extent but i like my claim here is that actually that's how we were like as a human race we're generally meant to be quite lean like we're not we're not built to store a lot of body fat so it's just strange that the norm now has become being erring on the side of being overweight and anyone that's like lean is like oh my god like have you got something wrong with you almost do you think that like what what are your thoughts on that I think yeah it's like what you said Shona about people being pretty sedentary now as well and it being normal to have a job where you are sitting down like in front of a computer all day um unless labor intensive I mean I actually don't have any evidence to back that up to suggest like more people are sitting down at a desk but that's kind of like you're right I don't think anyone could claim that there's not more people sitting down like there (laughs) definitely is even if you look back a hundred years or something Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I have made a new friend, like a new pregnant friend. She's had her baby now, but um, she is a vet, and so obviously, like, um, she was talking about like how some animals like are so inbred that they they can't like some like French bulldogs cannot actually give birth to their puppies. Normally, they all have to be cut out because of the way they're so inbred. Anyway, um, and. Yeah, that, that's another discussion. I don't understand um, why, like, I get why, you know, if you, like, inbreed things, then a lot of, like, 
things can go wrong, like higher risk of cancer and things like that. But I don't understand why you wouldn't be able to give birth to your own offspring. Right, well, so moving on from that, so she, we were talking about how a third of all babies, like human babies in the UK are C-sections. And then like the chances of you again, I'm sorry, I'm talking about this again, tearing um, when you give birth are also really high. And she said it's because we just have bigger babies now. Like, surely you should be able to give birth um, and not have a C-section, but our babies are just bigger because we eat more. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah, that is really interesting, isn't it? And we're Mm -hmm. obviously not, like, we haven't evolved to the point of... Or, yeah, I guess. And I guess, like, the C-sections are almost taking away the natural selection of that. Like, that's really brutal, but realistically, that's what's happening. It's really brutal, yeah. (laughs) Like, like, not to suggest that that shouldn't be happening, but essentially what would be happening is women who couldn't give birth to their own children wouldn't, and thus Mm. those genes wouldn't be passed on. And so Mm -hmm. we would change to the extent that we could give birth to our own children, right? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah yeah wow so that's that's another discussion there's a lot to unpack yes so much to unpack let's go back to the french bulldog yeah do you know that'll probably offend more people than us uh, talking about like c-sections and stuff um because i know there's quite a lot of people with their french bulldogs but yeah that's true french bulldogs cannot actually because they're so inbred if they have puppies they have to be cut out that's uh, maybe telling you something about the dog breed that we've chosen. <laughs> oh! Yep, putting that out there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what did you think about the next part of the question? Could it be because we expect fat loss to be instant, like Amazon Prime, fast food, etc.? Yeah, I think we really struggle with delayed reward generally. I think, like, I speak about this all the time. But it also just shows in the podcast listens as well. Like the most listened to podcast is the impatience one. It is the biggest problem we have with people is impatience and giving up, like giving up just before you're about to see results or expecting things to happen quicker than they are. Uh, Yeah. And I think probably the environment we live in now where most things are like almost instantaneous gratification and everyone's even the way like you can text someone and you expect a reply within 10 seconds like you don't want to wait for anything whereas before you'd be like oh, i'm gonna write this letter and maybe in two weeks i'll get a letter back <laughs> i'll attach this to the pigeon <laughs> maybe i'll hear back to them next summer <laughs> i love your english accent <laughs> <laughs> yeah if anyone couldn't tell that was actually shona saying that not me <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like, remember, um, we were discussing this in the coaches chat. Um, someone was saying that uh, they were asking, like, should fat loss be a marathon or a sprint? And what do we prefer? And um, Emma and Andy preferred like a sprint apo- approach. And Catherine and I preferred a marathon approach. But I think more, um, it was actually Karen that asked that question. I think more that she associates a marathon as like something really arduous and painful and I think if she associates like her fat loss as a marathon um then it's quite negative so we just changed it to climbing a Monroe which she's done now and she really enjoyed so oh yeah I like that yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. Um, but just back to the letter writing as well. Do you ever think it's really weird that you know those stories? Like, I guess I don't know if this happens in the Notebook, but that kind of thing, like Gatsby and like the Notebook or like Shakespeare and stuff. And then you actually realise, like, right, wait, 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 wait. are you putting the Notebook <laughs> with Shakespeare? <laughs> Yes, the timeless classic, Gatsby. <laughs> the great Gatsby and the notebook. Uh, also, who's the guy that writes that wrote the notebook? Do you know who it is? Oh, I can't I can't remember, but basically I realized he's written like so wait, who wrote Nicholas Sparks? Oh wait, written by I don't think it's a book. The notebook was written by Ryan Gosling. No, it wasn't. It says Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> Do you mean in the film? What are you trying? <laughs> okay, basically, um, he's written loads of books which are literally exactly the same. Oh, sorry, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, right, sorry. Like yes. the story every single time is exactly the same. Anyway, seems to be doing quite well, so I shall say no more. What was my point? Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, the, like when you think about what's actually happened in the story, it's like they've written like two letters to each other and met for five minutes. <laughs> it's weird to think about that, isn't it? Or when you look at like Shakespeare and it's like, she's 14 years old. <laughs> like that's creepy. Sorry, what's your point? No, that was, that was just it. I was just thinking about writing letters. Where is this going? Yeah. Like, the notebook is... See, when you actually think about it, the notebook is not really that sad. And it's actually, like, quite a happy ending. Like, because isn't the story that they get old and then die together? Sorry if you've not seen it. Spoiler isn't alert. Isn't the story that she has Alzheimer's and can't remember? Oh, is that right? I'm pretty yeah, sure it is quite sad. <laughs> That's but then quite... She re- he reads the notebook to her and she's like, ah, oh, and then they die. No, she reads the notebook to... And she's like oh, I think I might just remember this one thing. It was me, wasn't it? And then she forgets again. Oh. And it's really sad. (laughs) It's really sad. And then every single day he reads her the same freaking thing. And then for five minutes she's like, oh my God, that was us. And then she forgets again. (laughs) Be like, oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) For fuck's sake, my rat. Right, I'll just do it. Do it tomorrow. Uh, yeah, can't he just like, do oh, some kind of like bullet point summary? <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like fire through it today. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, this <laughs> happened. This happened. By the way, it was us. Uh, you know, another film that people find really sad that I don't find that sad is Marley and Me. And I've got, I've got dogs. I'm a doggy person. And the film is just that a family own a dog. The dog gets old and it dies. <laughs> What a great storyline. Exactly. I'm like, right, okay, cool. Are you guys like criers when you watch a sad movie? Or like Grey's Anatomy or something like that? Do you cry? Um, yeah, probably, but also never watch anything, so I don't really know. <laughs> I think I cried at Grey's Anatomy, to be fair. Yeah, that can be pretty sad sometimes, if it's like a, a sad story behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it your turn? Or is... <laughs> so, is that Hannah that's just commented we're now comparing Gatsby to Marley and me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Did anyone do Olympics for PTs? <laughs> Did anyone study uh, Gatsby at school? Like, as their book? I actually have a degree in English literature. Bloody hell. Yeah. Right, so did you do Gatsby? Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> right, no. okay, great. Moving did a shit ton of Shakespeare, though. Did a little bit of Shakespeare? Yeah, did, mm. no, I did a lot of Shakespeare, yeah. Go on, then. Go on, then. Give what? us a line. <laughs> Recite something for us. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Also, wasn't I thought your degree was in drama. Okay, so I did um, two yeah. years of English literature and then I did single honours theatre studies. Okay. So, yeah. Um, Ruined it for yourself a little bit there, didn't you? Totally pointless. Right at the end. You are such an interesting person, Sharon. Like, you have so many interesting stories and you've, like, done so much. Love yeah. it. Thank Love you. It. <laughs> Thank you. Um, is it my turn? Yep. Okay. Um, okay. So this one is: Can we talk about loss of periods through exercise? Oh, is that it? Yes. Oh, quite broad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this client is trying to get their period back. Okay. Honestly, quite simply, and I know that people overcomplicate this massively. You need to eat more like what's happening for the vast majority now okay before I say this there are numerous reasons you might lose your period if you so first of all go to your doctor and make sure it's not one of the other reasons if it is what people term as like relative energy deficiency i.e you're in too big a deficit whether that be through exercise or through dieting then honestly all and this is a very simple concept you need to eat more that's much harder said than done for a lot of people because obviously there's a huge psychological element to that but that's that's the fundamental of it if you eat enough for long enough that essentially your body no longer thinks that it's lacking energy because what's happened here is your energy your body doesn't think it has enough energy for non-essential processes and and kind of like well if you don't have enough energy to support your own body is it a good idea for you to get pregnant right now no probably not so we're going to shut down that process which isn't essential to your life and actually menstruation is a highly energy demanding process anyway so it's going to stop that happening to main to preserve your own energy so what you need to do is make the body aware that there is enough energy to do this and that might mean increasing the level of body fat that you have so a hormone that's highly related to this is leptin so when leptin levels drop your that's like a signal to your brain that there isn't much energy available and that's the also the signal that would would uh stop you menstruating as well uh someone's commented eat more for a long time and then do not forget dietary fat cannot emphasize the latter enough i mean yeah dietary fat is important but really it's the energy deficiency like you need to make sure that you're eating enough. And the reason that I'm emphasizing that is because a lot of people who psychologically don't want to increase their calories are like, right, what can I do within my current calories to to like get this back or to stay this lean, but also have my period. The fundamental is you don't have enough energy or your body at least doesn't think you have enough energy. So that's, that's what you need to change. And I'm only like really emphasizing that point because 
like I've worked with a lot of people who kind of try and get around the increase in calories by taking certain supplements or just increasing their dietary fat or putting flaxseed in something or something like that that's like yes increasing your dietary fat might be useful but the fundamental here is the energy deficit that you're in so that's where that's what we need to focus on do you can you like over train or train so much or is 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 not enough calories the only thing that would cause that is there like any other stressors to the body that would cause it but they're normally related so like you're in an energy like you're energy deficient relative to the amount of exercise that you're doing but I do think I think there is a case that I would definitely reduce the amount of exercise you're doing depending on how much you're doing initially like in the first place but that would probably be my go-to initially but also probably increased food intake but technically, like, if you were recovering enough and actually eating enough, then that's why it's called relative energy deficiency. Because I think, well, I know a lot of athletes get this and they might be like, I'm eating 2,000 calories or 2,500 calories. It doesn't really matter your food intake. It's your food intake in relation to your energy expenditure. So if you're on a bike and or you're an endurance runner, because that's where it happens a lot, and you're expending a hell of a lot of energy it doesn't matter that 2500 calories sounds like a lot to you you're expending more than that or you're expending enough that that's still a huge deficit for you mm. yeah i think it's important isn't it as well to look at the other knock-on impacts that losing your period can have on like your health like your bone mineral density and muscle mass um as well as not being able to get pregnant i know a lot of people will potentially be like oh it's fine like i've lost my period i don't want to get pregnant anytime soon so it doesn't matter that much but actually it does and i know that this client in particular understands like all of those health complications and health risks behind it um so she's very very clued up um on that side of things yeah but I... just for anybody else who might wonder yeah no that's that is such a good point and i never wanted okay. to <clears throat> like scare people because I often think that that just makes people shy away a little bit like you know it's like telling someone who's obese like you know you're increasing your risk of cardiovascular disease diabetes and cancer and they're like now I also feel shame around the fact that I'm overweight and actually if anything that's just going to make me eat more and I think almost like a similar thing can happen like you just kind of shut off to it but it is important to know that yeah losing your period isn't just the fact that you won't be able to have kids at that time or potentially impacting your ability to do that in in the future as well but also as you're saying like bone mineral density risk of cardiovascular disease mm. increased risk of early menopause like these are serious side effects serious consequences um your ability to build muscle your health in general like it's not something that you want to be in that position for a long period of time and there are so many benefits to getting it back like, I mean, even things like libido, like you will have absolutely no libido if you don't have a cycle like that's hugely related on hormone to hormones, uh, how you feel, how much energy you have, your performance in the gym, but generally just like your performance in life. Again, this is, this is similar to just <clears throat> over dieting as well. Like you will lack energy. When you start actually fueling your body, you'll see the amazing things it can do and actually how good it can feel as well. But anyway, this client is very lucky because Catherine is one of the most empathetic coaches I know. So I know that you'll be able to support her because it's very easy to just be like, just eat more. And realistically, that's what you need to do. 
but it's certainly not that like easy to implement that a lot of the time so that's Mm. I'm glad that you have a very caring and understanding coach to help you through that thanks guys totally agree yeah Catherine you are like so what used to happen is like Emma would ask um when people joined if they would like a tough love approach or like a more sort of empathetic caring approach and you'd divide them between me and Andy but then I think like I'm like the middle ground and then Catherine is like next level <laughs> yeah just too nice no not at all not at all um no I think I've just become now I'm gonna have to separate like, it so like do you want a funny coach Shona <laughs> do you want an empathetic <laughs> coach Catherine do you want coach like a hard tough love coach Andy yeah um okay so do we have a genetic disposition predisposition to carry muscle when we build it in certain areas of our bodies like I know I carry my fat naturally in my lower half than some um but does my muscle distribution totally reflect my actions or also my genes Basically, I want to get my legs more muscly, but I don't know if they have less muscle or just more fat covering the muscle than my legs, than my arms, which are lean and a bit more hinge. There is a huge genetic predisposition to where you store body fat and also where you build muscle. Um, Probably the, the most obvious one is your calves. Like it's very hard if you've got like no calves to grow your calves and I remember like this really big bodybuilder. I think it was Dave Titterton, who's like Nava world champion and things like that. And someone had asked him like how he built his calves because he has incredible calves. And he was like, I'm going to be honest. My dad has the same calves and has never been to the gym in his life. Like a, a lot of that is genetic. And now you're looking at the the absolute elite here. So it's a slightly different situation. What I would say is that sometimes we put these genetic ceilings on ourselves and we're actually nowhere near them. Like when you're looking at like an elite level athlete or an elite level bodybuilder, they probably are quite near their genetic ceiling or they've gone past it because they've taken stuff to assist them to go past it. But like for us, like I'm nowhere near my genetic ceiling. Like this, this client is probably nowhere near what they can achieve within like the genetic cards that they've been dealt. So I wouldn't limit yourself by that. Like you might never look like, you might never have JLo's booty because you aren't Latino or, you know, you don't have those genetics, but you can have a much better bum than you already have, for example. Like there's a huge scope there. Mm. I remember uh, a bodybuilder that I used to work with, she used to teach spin and her coach stopped her teaching spin because he said that it was stopping her building muscle in her legs and I thought like I I didn't really get the logic behind that because surely if you're because the person who asked this question is Catherine and she um does like she's an ultra runner so she uses her legs a lot so I wonder if like does that have an impact either way but then you look at people like Chris Hoy and yeah, he has he's like a sprint cyclist he's not like an yeah well mm. there is like I, but i mean you look at uh i don't know like tour de france cyclists they've got pretty shredded legs as well and like yeah. literally no upper body whatsoever 
I'm mm. like, how do you even get the water bottle to your face? Like, <laughs> so weak. <laughs> yeah. Well, normally they have those little things in their mouth anyway, don't they? Actually. Oh no, do they? Mm-hmm. Oh no. Anyway, um, what was the question there? Oh, it's been so there. There is some rationale to that in that you do have opposing some opposing adaptations from endurance exercise to uh, building muscle. So I can mm. see potentially like that would only really be an issue that I would think about if and maybe in that situation like you were an elite level, whatever, or or you wanted you know if if muscle building is your sole goal and you're doing a lot of cardio. It's probably not a great thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then like you have to weigh up, and she absolutely loves ultra running. Like it brings her so much joy. Um. So. Oh no! For we- this individual, absolutely keep doing ultra running. Yeah, like yeah, hundred percent. If you were like, yeah, well, I'm trying to compete in the Olympia this year. Yeah, don't. Maybe not well, ultra marathon. It's just like so. Obviously, I had to cover her spin classes. So I was like, I was not happy about this because they're only like 25 minute classes. It wasn't like we were doing 90 minute endurance sessions on the bike. And I was like, you're just being lazy. Um, but OK, now that I now that I know that it probably did have an impact. OK, I'm like, fair enough. Do you want to say sorry to her on the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Catherine. Um, okay, I think this is my last question. Um, I'm looking for advice regarding getting back on track when you feel lost. What would be the key non-negotiables to focus on? Steps and calories if fat loss is the goal. I am feeling overwhelmed. Um, I know what I need to do, but I'm struggling to follow through and implement. Great question. Yeah, I, I would just put it right back down to the bare basics. Like, Let's reconsider your goal reconsider the main factors that are going to get you closer to it and prioritize those and make sure you're at least ticking those off so if fat loss is your goal make sure that you are and you can just make this like as minimum as possible you're at least getting eight and a half thousand steps a day you're hitting your calories and you can get in three workouts a week and that i mean like even if they're 15 minute workouts at home like you've got them in you've ticked them off set yourself like the reason that we set non-negotiables is they're meant to be quite a low barrier so you like my non-negotiables are three workouts a week ten thousand steps and i have some other ones that are like irrelevant to this but i normally do double well maybe not i don't do twenty thousand steps but like substantially more than those minimum targets but i know that if i've ticked those off i'm closer to my goal or like i'm i'm happy with the progress i'm making so don't try and set these non-negotiables as more and more and more and more. They're meant to be like minimums so that, yeah, this has been a good week if I've hit these, but it's been a great week if I can get in four workouts this week or I can do 10,000 steps instead of 8.5 thousand steps or, yeah. So I think you're you're probably overcomplicating it a little bit. I'm sure that Catherine's already responded with, bam, 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 here's three bullet points of things you can do. Just focus on that and don't be overwhelmed by everything else. Um, but you'll get the vast majority of your results and the benefit from actually quite a small percentage of what you're doing, just that effort placed in the right areas. Yeah, agreed. I think it was, um, I've reminded Anna, who asked the question, that like it doesn't have to be perfect and the commit to six mantra is imperfect action. So if there are things that you miss, then 
it's fine it's okay you know you're consistently hitting 80% 70% of your goals your targets to reach your goal then that is fine as well and it's also it's so normal to feel overwhelmed at times I think everybody does in the fat loss journey at some point think oh my god there's so much or I'm having a really tough week it all seems like a bit much but yeah why <laughs> she laughing at me (laughs) (laughs) what is she laughing at she's gone she's gone (laughs) (laughs) okay it wasn't even that funny what were you laughing at (laughs) I was laughing at your hair Oh right, yeah, it was like it was it was like stuck in a position. <laughs> Which really actually isn't that funny. I'm not okay. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think my hair was just like stuck in a strange position. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I had like a like a little lump. Ellie tummy. There yeah, it is. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> such a bitch she does this to Amelia all the time and Amelia like it proper triggers Amelia on the EIQ lives like you can see how upset it makes her and oh like, my god ah, she's ah, not ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to like, watch what is it what is please tell me like she's always in tears oh my god no she's not almost in tears I mean she's I am clearly like she's like why are you laughing at me <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, she is. And normally it's something really, really... I don't know why I find stuff so funny. Right. Yeah, do you know what it was last time? And you were like, uh, Emma, um, Amelia said, oh, it was on Panorama last night. And you were like, <laughs> Panorama. And I was like, Emma, that is that is a legit programme. You've just not seen it before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. Oh. Okay. So great points. I can't look at anyone because. Uh... <clears throat> right. Breathe. Right. Breathe. Okay. So regaining composure. Yeah. So imperfect action. So important. <laughs> It's actually normally just something that's going on in my own head. Uh-huh. <laughs> and often it takes a lot of time. Like, I remember when Amelia was talking about something and then like 10 minutes later I was just like crying. Oh yeah, I remember what she said now. Something about sexual predators in the fitness industry. And at the time I was like, mm, yeah, it's a very serious problem we, yes. we have. And then 10 minutes later I was like, Pfft. yeah. <clears throat> that's the topic for another day. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Like, yeah the the problem that most people face or why they don't get results is because they they try to be perfect and when they're not they just assume they're not going to get results whereas if they just they action things imperfectly they're on to a good one well do we have any other questions right i've got two more um one is like a serious question one is like a debate topic which one do we want or do you want them both i mean are we ready for a serious question? Yeah, I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. Right, you're ready. Okay. 
Uh, so increasing muscle equals increase in metabolism, but to what extent? For example, are we talking an extra 50 calories a day burnt per one kilo lean muscle gained? So um, I've just Googled it. Maybe Emma knows the exact numbers, but um, it says here 10 pounds of muscle would burn 50 calories a day spent at rest, while 10 pounds of fat would burn 20 calories. So you can see there's not really that much difference. Um, so yeah, like you would burn more calories having more muscle, but we it would be so difficult for us to know exactly how much lean muscle mass you had and how much lean muscle mass that you'd built. So like working out the increase in your maintenance calories would be quite difficult and it would it would it would definitely just be a case of like slowly increasing or you might feel a little bit hungrier having more muscle mass. Um but yeah, uh the answer is yes, it does increase um your metabolism, your BMR. Yeah. Having more muscle mass. I'm annoyed now because I I have the exact figures on an EIQ. Right. Okay, cool. Go for it. No, but I mean, I don't. I don't have it open, and it's not open in my head either. Oh, unfortunately. But essentially, oh, okay, filler, and I'll come back to this. Do the next question. I'll find it. Okay. Um, the next question is: If you weren't a PT, what would you be doing? Well, that's not. You can answer that. <laughs> Uh, Catherine, what do you think you would do if you weren't a PT? Oh my god, I don't know. Um, did you not ask a question in, you know how you do your bonus questions and check-ins? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you asked that the other week and I said, I said, no, it was, it was um, when you were like five years old, what did you want to be? Yeah, I think I put like athlete or something like that. Uh, yeah, I think I would probably, I don't know actually, now thinking back on that. Like, what did you, I think, like, what, when you were at school, like, and you're choosing your options for, like, college, university, like, what, what was the goal? Silence. <laughs> I didn't really have, like, an idea of what I wanted to do when I left school or uni. I think I kind of just, like, rolled with it. And I knew that I was interested in science, like, biology, and I knew that I was, I loved sport. Like I've always loved playing sports and being active. So I was like, oh, well, a combination of those sport and exercise science. And I think I just kind of went from there. But I never, yeah, I never really knew what I wanted to be. And that maybe sounds a bit boring. but That's literally everyone that does um, sport science, isn't it? Oh, I really yeah. like sport at school. So I can say that because I did sport science. But I was exactly the same. I was like, mm, I don't really know what I want to do. But I like PE. <laughs> what what um, about you Shana maybe an astronaut or something cool like that you that. don't really hear of many people like from Scotland getting into that what being, you? being an astronaut yeah like I don't know any <laughs> personally I don't know any astronauts I mean I don't know any astronauts so... oh well then there's clearly none yeah from Scotland yeah if you don't know any then <laughs> I think my goal in life has always been driven like from a very young age um by a burning desire to be center of attention so um anything that involves that 
Like I've always wanted to be on stage or be performing or entertaining people. But then I also love being around people. I love people. I find fa- like people fascinating. I'm so interested in people. So something that would involve that or both of those things. And I think like being a coach, being a trainer encompasses both of those things. Um, so anything involved getting a lot of attention. Hmm. That's funny. You entertain people on the podcast. I yeah, I love podcasting. Mm. Love getting to hear my voice. See, what's what's kind of weird is that I like kind of hate being center of attention. Like I saw my friend got married recently, and I was like, that would literally be my idea of hell. Like I could think of nothing worse than walking down the aisle and everyone looking at me. Like there's absolutely no way I will do that. No. Whereas I feel like you would love that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel but like then, Catherine would probably hate that as well. Yeah, but you know. also like put yourself forward for uh, things like being at conferences and 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 public speaking. Whether like I know a lot of it's online, but you also do public speaking in person. No, I like. And- well, I say I like public speaking. Like it's kind of good after, but like that. I don't feel like it's about me. I wouldn't like public speaking if I was like talking about myself, I don't think. Mm. Like I even find my own birthday quite uncomfortable. I like that awkwardness when you're like sitting with friends or family and you have to unwrap presents in front of them. Yeah, but e- or even just, just like inviting people to my birthday. I'm like, what? It just seems like a little bit self-indulgent. Right, oh, I can kind of see what you mean, yeah. But when I say, like, centre of attention, it also, like, it wouldn't just be centre of attention, like, talking about myself. I feel like it's a need to entertain and I need to, like, make people laugh and, and make people feel good and feel happy. So I think, like, just, like, everyone look at me. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of feel like that when I take exercise classes. Like, I hate being the centre of attention, but when I take an exercise class... I like like a spin class I'll put like my head mic on channel my inner Britney Spears and yeah. it's about making everybody else feel good it's yeah. like it's about me mm-hmm. and I think I that's why I find in like creating that like environment is what mm-hmm. I find enjoyable mm-hmm. right so maybe something that was involved in that huh. hmm. um right that's me all out of questions okay so I found the thing one kilogram of muscle burns approximately 10 to 15 calories per day, not the 50 that most people think. Or that, like, I think that's often thrown around, like, if you build a kilogram of muscle, then you'll you'll burn 50 calories extra a day. It's actually close well, to 10. Well, said 10 pounds of muscle. This is on the one that I had. 10 pounds of muscle would burn 50 calories. I don't know. I'm looking at one. But, I mean, ten, to build 10 pounds of muscle would be pretty insane no that's why i that's why i've used a more realistic measure like one kilogram yeah okay so if you somehow manage to put on five kilograms of muscle say in a year that means that you would need or that your basal metabolic rate would have increased by about 50 to 75 calories a day and i think that sometimes like people overestimate the amount that that might be they're like oh yeah now my maintenance calories are so much higher because I built so much muscle and 
realistically it's probably going to be to the tune of something less than 100 calories extra a day um oh so many people are agreeing with uh people like yes i feel the same about opening presents on my birthday Liv saying it's mortifying i'm assuming she means walking down the aisle <laughs> yeah i just like i just couldn't do it going back to the muscle building if anybody tries emma's spicy shoulder workout have you done it not yet you should do it honestly the rep range i made up this rep range yesterday if someone else has already done it i don't care because it's mine now but it it was so so good so basically you do 12 reps and then have like three breaths 10 reps three breaths eight reps well like five seconds or something just keep going down until you get to two reps burns burns a lot but also helps you reach like i think a lot of the problem with doing so i've been doing a lot of shorter sessions but a lot of the time people don't actually reach failure doing that whereas with a rep range like that you're really fatiguing that muscle in just like one set or technically four sets but it feels like one set um so yeah give it a try it looks good mm. Well, that was fun. Well, that was great, guys. If uh, you're interested in signing up to Commit to Six, then head over to esgfitness.co.uk and you can read all about it and you can join the waiting list and we would be very excited to have you. Yep. Thank you. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Bye.